Welcome to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care Alliance podcast, exploring challenges and best practices in palliative care approaches for individuals in long-term care. Pat Morden is committed to enriching the experiences of those who need to live closer to care to live life on their own terms. She believes this happens through education, leadership, and being curious as to what more might be possible. Pat has worked to achieve this alongside others in a variety of settings, including as a frontline nurse, university faculty member, CEO, executive coach, a member of numerous boards, and a captain of a World Championship Canadian team. She's also a farmer and a mindful outdoor guide at Stonehill, her 100-acre farm. Pat is currently a self-described upcycled interim CEO at Shalom Village in Hamilton, which provides long-term care, adult care programs, seniors' apartments, and fitness facilities. Welcome to the podcast, Pat. Thank you very much, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And, and uh, I have to admit, first, I'm curious, uh, the captain of a World Championship Canadian team, I'd love to know more. When I was 58... Um, I made Team Canada for Dragon Boat, and we went to the World Championships, and I was the captain of that team, and we set our goal to win every heat, every race, every gold medal available to us as a women's team, and we did just that. It really taught me a lot about leadership and about, you know, courage and teamwork and being focused on mission. That's awesome. And now I need you to explain what an upcycled interim CEO is. <laughs> well, I was the CEO at Shalom Village for 21 years. And last summer, the board and the staff noticed that they needed to shift course after COVID. So I agreed to go back. So I called myself, I don't want to be recycled. So upcycled. So tell me a little bit about Shalom Village and um, I understand that you've implemented a palliative approach to care there, and I'd love to little, know a little bit more about that. Shulam Village always had an approach that we called being at home, and the letters A-T-H-O-M-E meant something to us. And so we started to talk about what that meant, and we said that I want to be acknowledged, that's the A, as a human being, all my uniqueness. I want that. I want to help that the people working there have to be in a team and I have to feel a part of that team and a part of that organization. And I, I need to feel safe. I also need to feel that this is my home. And then it also has to be the organization has to feel that it's a quality one that walks its talk and also that it's safe in some ways. And then we said memories. People still want to make new memories and they want to build on the old ones and cherish them. And they want an opportunity to do that. And then e-enablement, they wanted to be enabled, like supported. And I always say that we're not a 127-bed home. We have 127 people who choose to live with us so they can be closer to care, but not further from their own life, that they get to choose. And we have, you know, our mission statement is at home at Shalom, but also we say that we want to honor our fathers and our mothers and really honor who they are as people. Now, the word palliative also means care and comfort and 
decision-making and choice and connection. And there's always that too, that kind of practical piece of which, which is a practical piece of long-term care. Because if somebody wants to live their life, do the things that are important to them, we have to help them be comfortable and able to, uh, to express that and then to do it. I understand philosophically that that's what palliation is all about. But I, I think it's an unfortunate choice of words because I think people think of end of life and and really we're talking about end of days. This mission of yours, it's laudable and it must mean a great deal to the residents. I think mission statements are critical statement of purpose, like being on purpose. And so it's hard for all of us. We get off purpose. And especially in long-term care where it's, you know, command and control. We have a lot of regulations that have no gray. It's black and white. It's easy to get off track. And COVID was a time of great worry for the whole world. And we saw that. And when people get worried, they make rules or they try and control the uncontrollable. So long-term care, that's what happened with fixing long-term care, is they were visible. Canada knew with the experience in Europe that these were going to be the vulnerable populations, and yet we prepared hospitals and not long-term care homes. And we still really haven't changed all that much in long-term care. We've made more rules, made a bigger act, but we haven't really got more people to help us. Again, it becomes even more important that every long-term care home stays on purpose. And when the ministry comes in, that we understand what our purpose is and what we can do and what we can't do. And, and those are tough choices sometimes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts around the new Fixing Long-Term Care Act. I think that anything called fixing, which assumes that people are broken, is doesn't work very well. So what we have the challenge now is we have COVID, which made people very worried. And then we have blame and shame. And so that combination, worry, blame, and shame, puts people in, the, I call it, the circle of doom, because you don't see that anything is possible and people are telling us how to deliver long-term care when actually they use a, a word like palliative and they don't even know what that means. And people are really discouraged. And it's hard. You know, any of us have been in that place of feeling worried and somebody's blaming us. Well, it takes sheer guts to own it if we have to move and then to help us move forward. So what would you say are the top priorities to move things forward and to really have the proper approach? What things do we need to focus on? I think leadership is critically important and everybody aligned on what's important. And if we say that we want to have an approach where people recognize that they're at the end of their days and they want to make choices and do things, we have to live that. So there have been some brilliant people who've done things differently. Gray County, for example, early on in, in COVID, their mission is to color it your way. 
and they decided that the residents weren't having their lives colored at the, their way when they could not have visitors. And so they, in, you know, they implemented a huge project on essential caregivers so their residents could have visitors. And they established that protocol and got it approved and implemented it, and they set the standard for the province. There was a group of people who were on purpose recognized what was important and figured out how to do it when everybody's saying you can't do it. Yeah. Leadership that's on purpose. And so that's to be number one. Number two, there's lots of conversations going on about what does this palliative care philosophy mean and what does it really look like, sound like, taste like, smell like, be like, behave like day to day? Because I don't think people understand and I don't think the ministry understands either. What we're suggesting is that these difficult conversations, which families and individuals struggle with all the time, all of a sudden we are asked to do that in long-term care. And I agree with the ask, only we don't have ethicists working for us. We don't have psychologists. People aren't coming to us having had that conversation. They might have decided, no, don't resuscitate me. But they haven't decided, what if I have a dementia? So there needs to be a lot of upstream work in, um, you know, primary care for people to have those conversations. And we need people in long-term care really prepared to have those conversations. Yeah, that's, that's a tough thing. But also when they arrive, who's going to have those conversations and how do they have them? I mean, these are highly skilled conversations. And they're conversations that happen in an environment of trust. And it takes time, you know, to create trust. And it takes people who are, have the courage. You know, when you choose a person to have those conversations with, not in this particular circumstance, but in life, we choose the people that we feel comfortable with, that we trust. And these are the needs of people who live in long-term care are very complicated often the person is not able to have the conversation. So we need this upstream work. Yeah, and that's a major challenge because, um, you know, not only do a lot of people don't have primary care physician, or they have family members who are just simply not comfortable starting that conversation, cultural issues or whatever. But that also means, I think, a great burden on the staff to be able to understand that that conversation may happen and know how to react to it. Exactly. And to have support of somebody who can have those conversations with them. Yeah, and that's another great point because what we hear quite often is that there's not enough staff and staff that are working are working every second, every minute of the day. And morale is an issue now. Many of them are feeling, particularly after the pandemic, burned out. Pay is not great. So how do we sort of lift those people up, give them the training? How do we make it easier for them? Mastery, autonomy, and sense of purpose are the things that really motivate people. And mastery is a lot of feeling valued. It's, I, I need to know I'm important, that I'm valued, that I'm doing something that's, you know, that's a, it's important to the world, it makes a difference. And I think that's what I was talking about, being on purpose. If an organization has a mission that means something to people and they understand what it is, that makes us feel really good. 
is knowing that we're on purpose, that we're doing something that has meaning. And that's, it doesn't cost money. It takes time. And it takes focus and intent that every moment of every day is intentionally coming back to that mission, vision, and values. When we feel better, we feel more connected with our work and we tend to do it better. And mastery and autonomy. So everything's so regulated in long-term care, you're auditing the hell out of people. And it takes away their sense of autonomy. And I can't make a decision because if a resident says to me, I'd rather stay in bed today, eat chocolate, watch TV, and if you could bring me some red wine, that would be great. (laughs) The chances of that actually happening. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, you know, what are are some of the the top qualities of someone you look for in terms of staff and long-term care? I want them to be committed, compassionate, and curious. I want them to be able to show up when the going gets tough. I think post-COVID compassion and kindness is a rare commodity. And so it's really hard to find compassionate people. I do have staff members who say, well, I think something else would be possible. Do we have to say no to this or can we make it happen? And the reality in lots of ways is we have to hire people because there aren't just people. And we hope we can help them get those skills. But often there are so, we are very limited in the staff we can get. Are you partnering with anyone or active in advocating for that better approach to care? Shalom is looking to redevelop and we're um, beginning conversations with Parminder Rayner at McMaster to really say, what are we designing? What's the design for the future and who do we want to be? So we see as bringing in those kinds of experts. We have a partner in Baycrest in terms of we're a Jewish organization, they're a Jewish organization. And that's very large with lots of resources. And we certainly um, receive uh, support from them in terms of some of the things they develop, which other people get as well because they're a center of excellence. And what about uh, families as as advocates as well? Do you have a family council or a family group? Yes, families are a really important voice uh, because they bring a variety of perspectives. We have family council, we have residence council, and I also have a town hall with families um, once a month where I update them on things and they get to ask me the hard questions that they have or their concerns. So it's partnering with families and at number one to find out what's really important to their relative. Again, it comes to set purpose, everybody being on purpose and understanding that, and families too. And that becomes the palliative philosophy in terms of maybe it isn't about resuscitation or not resuscitation. Maybe it's about end of days and the quality of the days that you have. And that's a big switch for people. We need people who are you know, able to champion the purpose and have the courage to stick to it. And when we've been having this conversation, uh, it keeps coming back to me talking about the dragon boat racing. And the analogy that keeps coming to my mind is that there's a role for everyone in the boat. There's certainly someone leading as well, but everybody kind of has to row together to make this happen. And maybe that's the case in long-term care. When I became captain of Team Canada, 
we went up to the first practice. And, oh, my God. And for practice after practice, we sucked. Oh, my gosh, we were terrible. And this was Team Canada. So I went to Mountain Equipment Co-op. I bought some of those little waterproof Canadian flags you can put on your backpack. And I asked every single person to go around and say, why are you here? And so they all basically said to win gold for Canada. And I handed out the flags. And I said, every time you think of something else, all you're going to focus on is, and we came up with this together, every heat, every race, every gold. So we got in the boat that night. We just flew off the dock. And we flew all the way to Prague and did what we said we were going to do. We had a sense of purpose. It's a lot of hard work. You know, I had bruises and I was tired and it was a big commitment. And that's what's happening in long-term care. People are battered and bruised and tired. And yet they keep showing up, which is, I say to my staff all the time, you guys, are, you show up. You're tired, you're beat up, and yet you show up because you want to do that. They're so committed. They're so loving of the residents. And now they're really exploring how they can do their jobs. And that's the curiosity. Wonderful. Thank you for speaking with me today, Pat. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care podcast. For more information about our project, visit spaltc.ca.